Welcome to Bethany. We are an inclusive faith community, and no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter where you are today, you are welcome here. I'm Rochelle, a member of the Bethany community, and I'm glad you've chosen to worship with us today. Normally, right now, we greet one another, so take a minute and do that in the comments. You can say hello, good morning, peace be with you, whatever feels right. You can tell us where you're worshiping from and who you're worshiping with. Let's greet one another. If you hear nothing else this morning, this is the most important thing. You are a child of God, holy and beloved. Nothing, nothing can take that identity from you. When we say this, we are also saying that each and every person is a child of God. Our task is to honor the image of God in ourselves and each other. Say it with me. I am a child of God, holy and beloved. These are weird times, to put it mildly, and Sarah has asked me to share something that's given me life or something uh, that I've been struggling with. So I'll share a little bit of both. Um, I think it's easy right now to feel hopeless, to feel isolated. Um, I've felt overwhelmed or even exhausted. Um, but one thing that makes it a little bit better for me is getting out and running. And there's a park right behind my house that I really enjoy going to. Um, and when I'm there, uh, I like to do some people watching. And oftentimes I think, you know, what are these people doing here? Like, what am I doing here? Um, and, uh, you know, I see people running or walking or playing with their kids, uh, even painting. Um, and I think people are just, they're, they're resting, they're recharging, refueling, um, exercising, um, whatever it may be. Um, and I think that all kind of, for me, rolls up to self-care. And, um, and sometimes when I feel that isolation or I feel alone, um, being able to be there with other people um, reminds me that that's not, that's not the case, um, that there are several other people out there as well. Um, and even though I may not know them personally, um, we're all kind of there uh, as a collective in, in some way, um, taking care of ourselves taking a moment to kind of just breathe and uh, recharge or exercise or, or whatever. Um, and when I do that, uh, I'm oftentimes uh, reminded, again, that I'm, that I'm not alone, that I, I'm, I'm not isolated all the time. Um, and oftentimes I feel a lot more uh, hopeful um, and, and seeing others out there just smiling and enjoying life and, and taking note of the springtime beauty that I think that the kids at my select school just um, kind of, uh, it refreshes me in, in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, I hope that there's something out there like that for you that, that does the same.
Our story for today is about a woman who is sad. So here at Kiddo, who's worshiping with us this morning, I wonder, um, when was the last time you were sad? Were you sad often? What does it feel like when you're sad? And what do you like to do when you're sad? What makes you feel better? Does it help to cry? Do you like to go to your room and get some space? Do you want to hug? Are you always there? I usually want all of those things. I also pray, and I can remember to, and praying helps me. I say something like, Dear God, I'm sad. Please help me. Just that simple. We don't need fancy words when we talk to God. And the good news is, none of our feelings are forever. They change. God helps us be happy again. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes a long time. But we aren't sad forever. So I hope the next time you're sad, you're just in the crying and getting a hug and maybe going to your room for a little space. I hope you'll pray, too. Would you pray with me now? Would you repeat after me? Dear God, thanks for feelings, for all of them. Amen. Today we start a series on unraveling why we have all this unraveled stuff in our worship space. A series on unraveling, seeking God when our plans fall apart. This series was actually put together by a group of Presbyterian pastors more than a year ago, about 18 months ago. But boy, it feels pertinent right now. We have all had plans fall apart in the last three months. And over the next, throughout the summer, over the next 12 weeks, we'll be looking at stories of people for whom their plans fell apart, sometimes in really hard ways and sometimes in surprisingly good ways, how they found God in the midst of that. Our first story is something of a doozy. It's obscure. It's in 2 Samuel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. I'm not going to read it because it's really confusing in the text. We struggled over it and stumbled over it in Bible study this week. So I'm just going to tell you the story. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 21, 1 through 14. It's about a woman named Rizpah. Rizpah. But to tell Rizpah's story, we have to take a step back. There were the Israelites and there were the Gibeonites. And the Israelites and the Gibeonites had had a long-standing truce. 
And then King Saul came into power. And King Saul got overzealous, and he broke the truce, and he tried to wipe out the Gideonites. And then there are stories of such days when David, Saul's successor, has come to power. And there's a famine in the land. There has been a drought for many years. People are starving. And at the time, they believed that our ethical actions and the environmental happenings were connected. That what we do affects the land and the earth. So David starts looking around trying to figure out why is there this drought? Why is there this famine? And in conversation with God, he comes to believe that it is because of the truce that has been broken with the Gideonites. And so he goes to them and says, what will make this right? And they say, we don't want your gold and silver. We don't want to go to war with you. If you will take seven of Saul's descendants and pay me back, we'll be satisfied. better than all-out war. But as someone said Monday night, it would have been better if they'd taken the gold and silver. So they asked for seven of Saul's descendants. And so David gives them to them. And this is where Rizpah enters the story. Because she was one of Saul's wives. And two of the men who were hung were her sons. And the other five were her nephews. Innocent men, all of them. Two of Rizpah's sons and five of her nephews. Come. And Rizpah cries out in grief and mourning, but that's not all. She doesn't just raise her voice and wail. She goes to where their bodies are and she keeps vigil. She takes her mourning clothes. She makes a rock her pillow. And she protests. She keeps the vultures away by day and keeps the wild animals away by night. And she turns her grief into a protest against the injustice of it all. She cries out to God for mercy and justice. And David hears her. We can't bring these men back to life. We can't undo what has been done. But he does what he can. He sends for their bones and has them buried with honor. And then he goes a step further and he sends for Saul's bones, the enemy's bones, and brings them back and has them buried with honor as well. In some small way, he breaks the chain of violence by honoring those who have died. All because of Rizpah's grief and her protest. She was just a concubine, less than a footnote in history. She must have felt powerless in the face of senseless violence. It is so easy to feel powerless in the face of senseless violence. And yet she did what she could. She grieved and she turned her grief into protest. We are walking through a shared experience of 
and unraveling. Over the last three months, we have walked through this as a world in the pandemic, and in the last few weeks, we have walked through an uprising and an upheaval that continues today. We are all wrestling with the bitter, unacceptable cost of 400 years of racist violence. And it could be easy to throw our hands up and say, what do we do? Feel powerless in the face of such violence. I think there are a couple of things we're tempted to do in situations like whether it's risk or grief or our current deep collective grief. Sometimes it's tempting to just disengage. It's all too much to step out, to do things that numb us, mind and body, and hide from it all. Or on the other end of the spectrum, it is tempting to get defensive and angry. I didn't do it. This isn't my fault. This is all overblown. We're tempted in both directions. All of us, I think, if we're honest. To hide. To grow defensive and angry. That stems from our sense of powerlessness. But Rizka shows us a third way through all of this death to a path of love. She grieves, and she protests. She goes to her sons, and she grieves, and she lets her grief become a protest. She grieves for her sons, for her nephews, and for the high, high cost that these gains of power have exacted. She grieves, and she protests. And today, I see Rizka living again in the thousands upon thousands of demonstrators who are lifting their voices to name those who have died. George Floyd, Manuel Ellis, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Brianna Taylor, Eric Garner, and on and on and on. Listen to the grief. Listen to the protest. We tend to treat grief as an inconvenience or an embarrassment in our culture. Something to be held privately and to get done with as quickly as one can. But Rizka reminds us that not only is grief necessary, but there is power in grief. There is power in pausing to cry out to God, to acknowledge all that's been lost, to name those who have been lost. There is meaning in acknowledging pain. There is power in grieving. Grieving is a way of acknowledging the humanity of those we have lost. Rizka's grief and the protest that grew from that grief testify to the truth that we are all children of God, holy and beloved. And when any are treated as if they are not, we are all hurt. 
and flourishing tied up with one another. When the fabric of love is torn, there is holy power in lifting our hearts and our voices in grief and in protest. It is divine work. Maybe you've been out protesting in the last few weeks. And maybe you haven't for any number of reasons, and that's just fine. There are many ways to join Rivka in her holy work of grief and protest. Maybe you have friends or co-workers or family members who are having trouble in this moment, understanding what's going on. Thoughtful, engaged, patient conversation is worthy and worthwhile work. Taking the time to educate yourself, to grow in understanding and compassion is worthy and worthwhile work. It is holy. Taking the time to reach out to elected officials to ask for change is worthy and worthwhile work. It is holy. In all these ways, we join Rivka in her grief and in her protest. Protests like Rivka's stemmed not from a place initially of anger, but a place of grief. And there is a spot of space for anger in that grief, but it comes first from love. Love for each of God's children. And that love overflows into grief and into action. that each and every life is holy. Rivka's plan for her life fell apart, but that didn't stop her. Instead, it fueled her. She brought the grief of the moment to God and to the powers that be, and she lamented, and she used her lament as protest and things Not only did Rivka remember the dead, but she forced David, the law of the land, to reckon with the dead as well. There's hope here, friends. When it all comes unraveled, when it all falls apart, sometimes, by God's grace, we are able to see what we could not see before, what we did not have eyes or will to see. And once we have seen, we cannot unsee. And then we can begin the work of grief and protest and change. Amen.
you can email me at pastor.wilds.gmail.com and we can share some of our story with one another. Maybe one day soon we could even go for a cup of coffee together. Tonight some connections with some of the small groups that meet regularly at Bethany. <coughs> Again, that's pastor.wilds at gmail.com. This is an amazing community to be part of. It is deeply and purposefully welcoming of all, no matter, no matter what. And it is spiritually vibrant and spiritually centered in Christ. And it reaches out far and wide. And you give to this community. You give to all of that. And I am so thankful for your generosity. Your generosity has enabled us to continue paying our employees and to continue to give money to organizations throughout Tacoma. Thank you. If you'd like to give for the first time or on a recurring basis, you can do that at bethanytacoma.org backslash give. I'm thankful for your generosity. Even more, I'm thankful for your prayers. I'm thankful for the ways we pray together week in and week out. The ways we lift up joy. The ways we pray through sorrow together ways we sometimes phrase our prayers awkwardly and give each other grace in that, the ways we stumble through our prayers together, our sense of grace, humbly. So I wonder, what's on your mind for prayer tonight, today? What's giving you hope? What are you grateful for? What's bringing you sorrow? Shall we pray for us today?